So uh, this morning is January 16th. It is 2011. That's still a mouthful to say. Um, our message this morning is called Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words. Uh, so often when something like that is said, it's said in a negative sense. Oh man, I told Dad he'd never hit a hole in one. By the way, my father hit a hole in one before his 70th birthday. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's something. I say, oh no man, you'll never hit a hole in one. And then they do it and you say, well, that young man's going to have to eat his words, right? The, the perception is that if you step out there and say something, and you might be wrong, and if... If you are wrong and it's proven wrong, then you eat your words. Or another way to say it would be that brother really had to eat crow. Or sometimes we'll say he had a shoe in his mouth or a whole foot in his mouth. All of these things apply to very special situations where you spoke something and it turned out to be wrong. Well, what is particularly interesting about that is the Bible actually teaches us that 100% of the time... You eat your words. I will get to that place in the Scripture as we go. But the point being, the Bible teaches us that our words have power. They actually create a harvest, whether good or bad, and you will be satisfied from the harvest of your lips. So do not think of eating your words only as a bad thing, because the Bible teaches us whether good or bad, what a man speaks, he will eat. I have put in your bulletin, that there is a Hebrew word called Amar. Now, this word shows up in Genesis 1-3. Uh, it is, and God said, and the rest of that sentence is, let there be light. And what I found from studying this word is that when the Scripture says God said, it does not just mean God vocalized. We think of speech as simply uh, syllables and sounds uh, put together. But in Hebrew, when somebody says something, uh, that word, amar, has to do with even internal thoughts. So before the vocal sounds ever came, there was a thought there. There's that internal dialogue going on. Should I tell Matthew I like his shirt or not tell him? I mean, if I tell him, his head might swell. And if it swells, then he's not going to fit through the door. Or he might think I want the shirt. He might assign to me nefarious motives. That dialogue that is going on is still saying something according to Hebrew. The other thing is, how about this one? Watch, watch. So those of you that, uh, that have teenagers will get this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how about this one? <laughs> that said something, didn't it? Now people who are listening to this message by audio may not get it because there was no vocalization. However, if you have video without audio, you still get a communication. This word Amar, when God said, has to do with what's going on inside of him, what's coming out of his mouth, and even any gestures or actions accompanying those words. It is a holistic form of communication. It means with all of God's being, He is producing something that we can only express in words. We call the Word of God the Bible, or the Bible we call the Word of God. But when God wanted to express Himself in the ultimate sense, the fullest sense, John, the first chapter, says that that Word became flesh, a living being. So God walking around, the expression of His internal thoughts 
his actions, even his vocalizations, everything about him, God is Amar. He's saying something to the creation. Brought light to the world. In Genesis, he did it. And in the first chapter of John, he did it. But it doesn't stop there. In Matthew 5.14, God in the flesh, who is the Amar of God, the speaking of God, the revelation of God, the perfect Reflection of the invisible God, Hebrews says, spoke to us and said, said, he said, he martyred. You are the light of the world. This gives us a profound responsibility. The profound responsibility is this. If the expression of God's inmost thoughts, if his actions and his vocalizations, when expressed, all do one thing, they illuminate darkness. What has he told us to do? The very same thing. He has said that we are to be light in the world. None of us have any problem believing Jesus is the light of the world. We may, however, struggle to imitate Him and be the light of the world. And yet, He has called us to. I wanted to draw your attention to the pastor's corner, not because of the Hebrew. When Jesus said it, uh, and it's recorded in the New Testament, of course it's Greek. I don't want to split hairs here. I want to point to the pastor's corner because something happened in my life the other day. I preach on weaknesses all of the time. You may not know that. In fact, you might hear a message and not know me. Maybe you heard it online. Maybe somebody gave you a CD or something, and you might not know me. And you think, you know, where did he get that? Let me just unravel the mystery. There is no secret book of sermons. They're not sent to me from Springfield, Missouri, or the Vatican, or anywhere else. As I interact with God on a daily basis, when I ask Him to search my heart, usually both correction and encouragement flow from those meetings. Now maybe when you meet with God, it's a big award ceremony. Maybe He tells you, you do such a good job at this, you know, I could have incarnated in you. But that's not what He tells me. I sing to him how great thou art. He does not turn and sing that back to me. <laughs> he shows me the dark areas of my life that need to be changed. I would sum up our conversations in something along these lines. Son, you're better than this. I called you to a higher place than this. You did this well. This was me speaking through you. Did you feel that? This you did not do. Repent. Get right in me. Get my word in you. Hide it in your heart so it'll come out of your mouth. That's how I would sum up my relationship with him. I don't know how that relates to yours. Americans tend to think that God wants us blessed. We ride it on our money and everywhere else. And we think blessing is having the most toys at the end of the game. Jesus taught it's more blessed to give than receive. And even America has twisted that message into some ridiculous prosperity message that appeals to greed. It's almost as if our hearts are so incurably diseased and deceived that when God is saying something we can't quite hear it. We might need our ears circumcised and our hearts circumcised. Well, your pastor's preaching on his weakness because I was in Kroger's parking lot. Y'all know I live near Settler's Way and Sits. I I don't live in a gated community. There is no secret service Christians following me around. Nobody nobody gets to see what pastor's doing. I stopped in for a cup of coffee the other night, ran into our youth group meeting uh, at Java Day. That's not because I was, you know, prowling to see how the youth leaders were doing. It's because we live in the communities we preach in. 
<laughs> How about that? That's an amazing concept. So I'm in Kroger's. I'm in Kroger's, the community that I live in, the community that I preach in, and uh, the central marketplace, the Agora of our day. Yes, Kroger's. And praise God, we don't have to put ashes on our forehead or sacrifice to a, a deity to go in. Um, but we did our shopping. We were on our way out of town to go do something good, right? You ever just want to do something good? I have friends that hadn't had an anniversary that was decent in a while, and we wanted to go watch their kids. So, <coughs> by the way, 36, watching a baby is different than it was. <laughs> so I have sympathy for those of you that are 46, 56, and 66 doing all of those things. Uh, it, it, it's hard. Having said all of that, no more excuses, just to get it out there so that you know, I came out after shopping, put all my kids in the car, right, this one's yaying about that, and you know, they're being kids, and uh, I start my truck, and wife's got something to say to me, and I'm talking with her, and just in our own little world, forgetting that we're members of the community, and I feel as if somebody's leaning over my shoulder, except I'm sitting in the car. And I turn and look, and what I was feeling was a shadow, because in the driver's side window of my truck is a woman about this tall who's waving her arm. And over the soft humble of my rumble of my diesel truck, I could hear she was yelling at me. And you know, that's not a great feeling. And my first mistake is what does the Bible say that a kind word does? So what should have been loading in your pastor's heart and mind was a kind word. And I opened the door of my truck and I said, Lady, are you trying to say something to me? Not exactly the nicest way to say that. This was not Jesus' woman. What hast thou? <laughs> this, this was uh, as derogatory as a pastor's tame speech will get in public. What I mean is, I wasn't trying to calm the situation. I was aggravated. And she could see that. She said, you were rude. I said, that's very sweet. Thank you. Again, sarcasm. Right? This is what's flowing out of my mouth. What does that tell you was in my heart? She said, you left your basket out in the middle, in the way. That's a huge parking lot, and there were only two cars in it, hers and mine. But I didn't get the basket quite in the return. It was about 10 feet from the return. We could focus on all the reasons that maybe that's a hyper-developed sense of authority the woman has. We could focus on all those things. Here comes the kicker, if I'm just completely honest. How many of you have I looked in your eyes at some point and known something that was going on in your life and spoken an encouraging or corrective word to you? This is a gift. It's a gift that God gave me for building up and not tearing down. Sometimes it comes from the throne of heaven and pierces my thoughts like a lightning bolt. Other times it's more an inherent perceptiveness because of what I walk in, because I need it. The same way your mom and dad knew that you came in late even when you told them you didn't. Yeah. I looked in her eyes at that moment, angry that she was chastising me over such a small thing. And I said, I bet you're single, aren't you? Her eyes filled with tears and she stomped off. Now, this was a horrendous, horrendous mistake. It's a misuse of God's gifting. 
It is speech that brought hell into somebody's life rather than heaven into somebody's life. But I want to tell you, after 17 plus years, it flowed off my tongue like it was my native tongue. I know I'm the only one in the room that is capable of producing fresh water and salt water. In this is what James says when he says, your tongue like a, a rudder on a ship that's little, but it's set on fire by hell and it'll steer the whole direction of your life. Goes on to say, our mouth we both praise God and we curse man, which made in this image. So the three hours to Austin felt more like nine. No amount of rationalization, no amount of working through it in my mind made me feel any better had to come to the place. I said, Lord, I'm sorry I failed you. You've called me to speak your word, not mine. You've called me to repair the world, not tear it up. I'm sorry. Now, sorrow is a good place to start, but Numbers 5 teaches us more than that. You have to do something more. You need to make restitution. Well, how do I make restitution? I don't even know where the lady is. Well, I know my Lord. You eat your workers. I'm sure I'll run into her again. I live in this community. But even if I don't, Numbers 5 says when you can't make restitution, then it belongs to the Lord. So I purposed in my heart at that moment that the rest of my life I would speak only God's words. Now you might say, now wait a minute, we live in this flesh, you're going to make mistakes. This is not an excuse to. Flesh is not supposed to control us anymore. The Bible doesn't say aim for perfection knowing you won't get it. It doesn't say that. It says aim for perfection. The Word doesn't say be kind of holy because you can never really be holy. It says be holy as I am holy. This is what the Word teaches us. So I wanted to tell you where the message came from because I believe that when a pastor preaches on his weaknesses rather than his strengths, there's no glory in it for him. And then what you hear, you can know the Lord is teaching me as I'm teaching you. Is that fair enough? Or do we need a demagogue who stands in near perfection with makeup on, flawless in every way, just don't visit him in his house or talk to his kids? I believe that what it is biblically to pastor is to share my entire life with you. And I've got to tell you, there's a bunch of it that's still under construction. Turn with me to Proverbs 12. The Jews have a principle. It's called Tukun Ha-Olam. This comes from man's original calling in Genesis, somewhere around the first chapter and 26th verse, when God told man, I want you to go out and fill the earth or replenish the earth, depending on your translation. The Jews understood that God had given His likeness to man and that when man was in union with God, we were spreading His goodness or His kingdom all over the world. This is the job of men. In John 17, when Jesus prayed, He did not pray that the church would be removed from the earth. Instead, He prayed that they would be sanctified, set apart, and protected from the evil one. This is because as we do our work, saints, we are repairing the world. The only separation that occurs, occurs the way that Israel was separate from Egypt. It occurs so that there can be a distinction between light and darkness, and light can drive out darkness. That is the goal. Are you all in Proverbs 12? Yes. Proverbs 12, look at verse 18. 
reckless words <coughs> pierce like a sword. Matthew Pero wrote a song when he was about 17 years old, one that really touched my heart. Our, our God began, began intertwining our lives early on because we would spend the rest of our lives working together. And his song had to do with a relative's words piercing him like a, or cutting him like a knife were the actual lyrics. We can all relate to things like that. In fact, what do the young people call it when they get into those discussions where one is disparaging another? What do they call that? Cutting somebody down. And when you're in about seventh grade, for whatever reason, cut down wars are kind of the thing. Our words have the ability to murder someone. Have you ever, you ever known somebody who told you about somebody else? You never met that third party, but you were sure you don't like them? Yeah. yeah. There were piercing words. That it's like a preemptive attack, right? If I don't like somebody, I can condition you not to like them before you even meet them. Piercing words. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words are supposed to bring healing. In Hebrew, saved and healed are the exact same concept and often the exact same word. Saved, healed, and delivered. Our words are supposed to deliver people from bondage. Not put them in it. Now, the gift that God gave me gave me the instant ability to know that this woman was in bondage. But the word that I chose to speak to her, was it true? Yes, it was true. Did that make it healing? No. 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 It was not edifying. It was not spirit-led. Or if it was spirit-led, it was the wrong spirit that led it. It did not bring healing to her life. Instead, it brought a piercing. Now, we could spiritualize this and say, well, even that piercing God can use for good. Maybe none of that makes me innocent. Did you know that the Bible said we will give an accounting for every idle word? Well, turn with me to Proverbs 13, 17. If you have a note section in your bulletin, and I happen to know that you do. <laughs> uh, the first one would be Proverbs 12, verse 18. And I would call it not piercing, but healing. Uh, under that subject, I'd like to talk to you about Proverbs 13. And we're going to read the 17th verse when I can find it. 17th verse. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. The thing is, is you are a messenger of God, whether you have recognized that or not. When you took His name upon you... By the way, how many of you in here are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay. So Mandy's married. Right, everybody raised their hands, but this is what happens when you uh, work with me for years. You get singled out. The moment that Mandy got married, she has always been Mandy Wakefield, but now there is another name after that. And this means that when she, how about this, writes a check, she might write that check as Mandy Dime. Now, she wasn't a dime two years ago, but she's a dime today. And she is a messenger or a bearer of that name. In fact, one of the things that happens in godly wedding ceremonies is you realize that you are taking someone's name upon you. 
Our king told us at Mount Sinai, actually told Israel, and we have learned from what he's told Israel, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, we boiled that down to say to, to uh, the prohibition against using the words GD or whatever you might say. I mean, in my house growing up, it, it was Jesus and Christ and it had an H in it. I never figured that one out or what the H stood for. This is not what that means. That's a bad thing to do, but it's not what it means. It means do not misappropriate God's name. It means do not use it frivolously, carelessly. We are messengers of God's name. His name is salvation. His name is so many things. And that is what we're supposed to be bringing. And when we consider ourselves a messenger, it brings healing, according to this proverb. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger of His name? In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul actually says it this way. We are ambassadors of God. As if God were making His appeal through us to you to be reconciled. This is how Paul says that. An ambassador is somebody who was set aside because of their unique qualifications and skills and given the seals of a diplomat the right to use a name. Your words are no longer your own words because you represent someone. You are no longer speaking on your own behalf. You represent someone now. And there are no days off. Now, are you a part-time Christian? Full-time Christian ministry. Is there any other kind, my friend? I want to meet the part-timers and ask them how they got that job. <laughs> and who do they work for when they get off? <laughs> wow. We are messengers of His name. Ambassadors of His presence and His words. If someone calls themselves a Piro, if they've got Piro on their driver's license, if they've got a Piro bumper sticker on their car, if they've got a Piro piece of jewelry that He made, When they speak, it reflects all Piros. Just does. Right? In Texas, we like to say Perot. <laughs> because names have associations. <laughs> there is no Uncle Ross. <laughs> you are a messenger, an ambassador. Ephesians 6. You might write this one down. 19 through 20. Actually... Let's not just write it down. Why don't we read it? God gave it to us. It's a blood-stained book. People gave their very lives to get us this. Maybe we ought to just read it. There. This will be Ephesians 6. Pick up with me in the 19th verse. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. There are all kinds of motives for not speaking God's words. I know we think of the Gospel as a neat little defined story. Maybe you're used to communicating it as the Roman road to salvation. Maybe you were, were told it as the sinner's prayer. I don't know. Americans have a way of, of taking... Uh, an almost unknowable, unsearchable, beautiful mystery of God and reducing it to a slogan that fits on a bumper sticker. 
The gospel is this. It is the word of God being Amar. Said through your internal thoughts. Said through your vocalization. vocalization said through your actions. It is presented in a whole life. Not just in written word. Not just in spoken word. It is a holistic presentation. This is why Jesus is the Word of God, or the way a Jew might say it, is the living Torah. He is the law of God perfectly expressed in every way, in every direction, at all times. Well, there are all kind of motivations we may have for not doing that, but I would suggest the top of the list is fear. We're scared that if we respond kindly to somebody being ugly, what might they do? just be uglier. Might take advantage. We're scared that if we let this go any further, our children might see it and put us in a bad light. We're scared, we're scared, we're scared, we're scared. We'll pray that we will have the boldness. Pray that we will have the faith, the trust to speak only God's Word. Are you beginning to grasp what a big subject it was for Jesus to be able to stand and the man never lied? Stand and say, I only say what I hear my Father say. There's internal dialogue going on between us, and that's the only thing that comes out of my mouth. I only do what I see him do. What an amazing statement. If we had to stand and be graded according to that, what would we say? Occasionally. Every once in a while. Once in a blue moon, whatever that is. I say something I hear the Father say. <laughs> Woo! Word of knowledge. Your whole life is supposed to be a word of knowledge. Your whole life is supposed to be a word of wisdom. You are supposed to be delivering the word of God everywhere you go. Matthew and I are often in positions where we don't know what to do. Praise God, we never had to know what to do. All we had to do was know how to tap into His word. Let me tell you, the porthole to His word is found in the book in your life. In reading it, it gets in you. His thoughts become your thoughts. In communicating with Him and putting into practice what this Word says, we find ourselves having right feelings that have followed our right actions. You find yourself in more and more connection with Him. Not because of anything you've done, but because He's good and He's always wanted to connect with you. Acts 17.26 says He determined the times and places you would live and work so that you would reach out and find Him though He is not far from you. Wow. He is not having a proximity problem with you. <laughs> but you may be having a proximity problem with Him. He can be so close to you that you could feel His breath on your face. But you feel miles away because there is darkness that you don't want to deal with in your life. Friends, I want to encourage you to deal with the darkness. Let His Word shine light on you. Whatever the Word says to do, no matter how painful, it's the right thing to do. Yes. The reason this church puts into practice things like Matthew 18, we saw it last week, is not because it just feels great to do it. It's because it's what the Word says to do. It is our only hope of getting anything right. We do not have the right to make this up as we go. I love that we live in a democracy, but a church is a theocracy. He's the head, not me, not you. If he says there's a five-fold ministry, then there is. If he defines the role of a deacon in a certain way, then that's what it is. It doesn't matter what our forefathers did. It doesn't matter what is popular around us or what builds the fastest growing church in America. What matters is that we put into practice his word. 
Turn with me to Proverbs 10. We're going to read the 20th verse. Tell me when you're there. There. Proverbs 10. Here comes verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. This means that our words should be, if you're writing this down, redemptive and nourishing. Silver in the Bible is a metal always associated with redemption. This goes all the way back to silver being the price paid for the redemption of the firstborn. It goes all the way through the Bible to the place where Jesus had a price paid for Him of betrayal in silver. Silver in the Bible has to do with redemption. And your tongue is supposed to speak redemptive, nourishing words. Since you're already in Proverbs, turn with me to the 16th chapter and 13th verse on the same subject. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. The truth as God sees it. Do you know that there's a difference between a fact and the truth of God? The truth of God often differs from fact. For instance, a fact is 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3. But the truth of God is it's still possible for it to be 1. Do you understand the difference we're talking about? This is not circular reasoning. It's not some uh, bizarre metaphysical thing. It is the truth is being in sync with what God thinks about something, not just a fact. The fact might be that the brother in front of you smells bad. That might be the fact. But the truth be, God says His life is a pleasing aroma to Him. Now who is right? The fact that you see or the truth that God has revealed? It is the truth that He has revealed. And a king takes pleasure in honest lips. You do not have to convey facts. You do have to convey truth. The revealed Word of God. This means that in a situation, I stated a fact to a woman in a parking lot. You were single. But it was not in sync with God. So it was not His truth, even though it was factually accurate. And I want to tell you, inflection and gesture might have made all the difference in the world. Sweetheart, I can see that you're single. I'm so sorry that you're having a bad day. Can I pray with you? Can I help you? Come with me as I move this card back. Thank you for caring enough to correct me. That would have been perfect. It would have been an aptly spoken word like golden apples and silver settings. Well, that's not what I did. So we could sit around and cry about it, which is appropriate. Or we could pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, you're better than this, son. I have work left for you to do. Let's get it right this time. This is what the king is telling us. When you hear preaching and it brings conviction in your life, you ought not take it to be condemnation. Condemnation says, you can't do any better than this. You're of little value. Go hang yourself. Conviction says, you're of great value. Too great to live this way. You're capable of more. The king in you can cause you to overcome. That's what conviction is. Amen. Ephesians 4. 
I think we ought to read this. I probably should have kept my finger in the future. Sometimes I quote the word, sometimes I read it, sometimes we just quote it loosely. This morning I have just a desire to share it with you. Pure. Here comes Ephesians 4. Start with me in the 29th verse. Redemptive, nourishing words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Building others up. This word in Greek is oikonome. It means to stack one principle upon another, one brick upon another, until they rise to become more than they are today. Friends, when somebody assaults you in a parking lot with ugly verbiage, are they at a low place in their life? Yes. That's demeaning behavior. That's beneath the sons and daughters of God to get all bent out of shape over a shopping cart. Could I have left her more than I found her? Yes. I could have shown her the glory of God and said there are things worth smiling about, sweetheart. There are people that have been saved from their sin. There are people that have been pardoned from death sentences all around us. The shopping cart's a small matter. How can I help you? Is that really what you came over here to talk to me about? This would have been something that built her up. I don't want to miss the next opportunity. <laughs> Building them up according to their needs. Your speech cannot be selfish. It needs to be selfless. That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We speak redemptive words because we're headed for a redemptive day and we are a redeemed people. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So the woman said something wrong to me. She started it. Doesn't that sound like a two-year-old? She started it. Yeah. But Jesus finished it. When He said it is finished on the cross, He was finished paying for their sin and yours. So how dare you claim exemption? Claim that your sins are forgiven, but charge them with theirs. We have lost that right. Our words must be redemptive. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be a hint even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk. I didn't know what this meant. You're going to love this Greek word. (laughs) Morologia. Can you begin to discern what that is? Morologia. Moro is the Greek word that we get the English word moron from. And logia is the Greek word that we get the English word logic from. There should be no stupid talk. No foolish talk. Don't talk like a moron. Talk like a man with a purpose. What is your purpose? Redemptive words. Or coarse joking. Now, i got a relative, sweet lady, who's in children's church in the back. She's my mom. (laughs) She's told me all my life, stop coarse gesturing. 
No, this is not what this word says. That would be even worse. Coarse gesturing. <laughs> Coarse gesturing would be an inappropriate hand gesture. Coarse joking. This word <laughs> in Greek is eurotropelia. Now, uh, that's a mouthful. But let me tell you what that means. Eurotropelia. It means to use your wit in a cutting way. It means to disparage someone for the sake of a laugh. Oh my. The standards of God are so high, are they not? They really are. Well, we only pick on that brother because we love him. Really. <laughs> so since Jesus loved the world, the kind of things that he says about you are... Yeah, the standards of God are very high. But they are not so high as if you should say they cannot be obtained. Right on. He put His Spirit in you to move, to have your will in His being, right to break up your stony heart, <coughs> to write His desires, His law, His righteous instruction on your heart. Ezekiel 36 is all about this, and so is the entirety of the New Testament. By the way, on the idea of nourishing redemptive words, you know, Romans 11, 17, this scripture is put out of context. So don't accuse me of that later. I'm telling you I'm doing it right now. Okay? Listen to these phrases. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share on the nourishing sap from the olive root, then he goes on, and in context he's talking about Gentiles being grafted into a Jewish plan of salvation, and not boasting over them, they were cut off, many of them, not all of them, for unbelief. We were grafted in uh, alongside them, not in their place. And they can be grafted in again. It's an Israeli olive tree. But that is not what I'm talking about today. He said you were grafted into something that provided nourishing sap. Our words are nourishing. And when we were connected to Him, He will give you the right word for the person that you're speaking with. You may not see it. There may not be an expression. But He knows what you do not know. And when you are tapped into Him, your speech is redemptive and nourishing. <laughs> I can't help it. I, I, I probably shouldn't tell this story. But there is a pastor in Baker, Louisiana, now Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's got churches in both places. His name is Larry Stockstill. And he, uh, his church is called Bethany World Prayer Center. And uh, you got to love a church that starts in a garage and names itself World Prayer Center. <laughs> because they didn't plan on staying in the garage. They grew out of that. Uh, built a 6,000 member auditorium. That was about their fourth church building. Filled that. And now, I don't know, there are 15,000, 20,000 people. But they're still the same men that originally met in a garage. I kind of think that's cool. By the way, they are responsible for encouraging John Hosteen to start a church in a feed store that has become Lakewood. Uh, that all began in... Baker, Louisiana, and a garage. But in any case, <laughs> in any case, he tells this story about a friend that he went to ORU with. And he said, his friend married the ugliest woman he had seen in years. <laughs> and it was a problem for him. Because when the friend would show up, the friend would say, this is my beautiful flower. This is the apple of my and it always felt to Larry a little bit like the man was almost jested because surely he knew how hideous she was. Right? 
Like maybe he could pick a more apt description. Like, you know, uh, my wife's got a great personality. <laughs> he said years went by. He hadn't seen the man in about a decade, and he was pumping gas, and he noticed a, a beautiful woman and, and did what men of God do. He used his neck. Right? Yeah. And uh, he said now he feels something strange because a man is approaching him. And so he's pumping gas, and he looks up, and he, he realizes that it's his friend. And he's with a woman, and now he's upset. He's upset in his heart, he's grieved, he's thinking, he divorced her. He had to have divorced her. What do I say to my friend that I went to Bible school with that's a pastor, and now he's got a new wife, a beautiful wife? He began putting two and two together and said he traded his old ugly wife in for a new pretty wife. <laughs> man came up and said, you remember, mentioned her name, my beautiful flower. And Larry said he was taken back. He had no idea how to respond. He thought, could this man have married a woman by the same name? <laughs> and as they talked further, he realized. No, she simply was what he had been calling her all of these years. Mm -hmm. He made her feel beautiful and she began to act beautiful. Mm -hmm. And there was something majestic about her God-given beauty that came from a quiet spirit and an inner glow. You know, it's an amazing thing. What we live in is faith. Mm -hmm. There's just no question about that. Mm -hmm. What he's invested in us will never fade. You better learn to see beauty where it really exists. Wow. How about Proverbs 15? Is that okay with y'all? I know a lot of churches we would already been done and have left by now. There. That's <laughs> <There. laughs> never here. been my goal. We like getting fed. Amen. Amen. I hope you came to eat. Proverbs 15, starting in verse 2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. If you have another uh, translation, it might say, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge correctly. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Don't you love the imagery of the Bible? <laughs> Hebrews are visual people. I mean, in fact, when you study the Hebrew, there are some pretty shocking things about it. A lot of times when your Bible says anger in Hebrew, the actual Hebrew is his nostrils were flared. <laughs> They're trying to communicate to you seething, boiling anger. A lot of times when the Bible says something like uh, he was persistent or he was resolute, the Hebrew is he set his face as flint. You remember the old Indian names? This is stems with a fist. Why? Because she stood with a fist. She was angry. You know, this is runs like a duck or whatever. <laughs> this is a very Hebrew-like tradition. Their words were <laughs> And so you have to picture that they're talking about a wise tongue that accurately uses no. As opposed to a fool that is just like a sprinkler head. <laughs> Spitting out every... You know, not every true thing needs to be said. Amen. You know? Amen. I put it on my Facebook page one day, you're bald. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. 
That's every true thing that needs to be said. You can have knowledge and it not be used rightly. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of a fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Keeping watch on the wicked and the... Good. Wow. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes a spirit. Keep your finger in Proverbs and turn with me to Isaiah. If you don't do anything else in this Bible, you learn where, or in this church, you learn where all the books of the Bible are. There. Isaiah. Well, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> 50. Sometimes I just know what it looks like. Isaiah 50. Check this out. It's a familiar scripture, but about using knowledge correctly. The Sovereign Lord, 50 verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. How much of your speech was taught to you by God? For your tongue to be commended by knowledge, you need to be hiding the word in your heart. I want to tell you, I'll probably say it every day until the day that I die. People do not fall away from the Lord who are being instructed by His Word daily. It does not happen. It happens in a variety of ways when it happens, but that is not one of them. This Word will teach you how to act. It will teach you how to think. It will teach you what to say. It will teach you how to live and how to pray. It will teach you. You cannot get enough of it on Wednesday and Sunday. That was never the intent. In fact, Wednesday and Sunday were here so that you could show up and tell us what the Lord had taught you. My job in ancient Israel would have been to listen and make sure that what you were presenting was accurate to the Word. That would be my job. Not to stand up and be a sage on a stage and deliver an hour lecture that uh, you deemed either entertaining or not entertaining. Not to draw a box and put 15 things we know about God in it that we're going to tell you in new and exciting ways every week. That was never a pastor's job. A pastor's job was to help you manage your calling by your daily interaction with the Lord and you bringing to the pastor what you were learning and Him instructing you from that. The people that I have seen grow the most in the kingdom, achieve the highest heights as far as God sees are not the people that showed up with paper and pencil just to take notes they were the people that showed up with questions about the last week's message so I just I've been meditating on this I've been studying it and in my daily reading I found these scriptures how do they relate to that not to impress anybody but because they cared to know i got to tell you how few that really is though most of the time there's lots of speech and little instruction. Most of the time words are plentiful and sin is not far behind. But it is possible to be a messenger of God speaking instructed words. This is our goal. This is what we shoot for. Our tongue needs to be instructed by God and to do that you have to know His Word. This familiar scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 is not familiar enough. All scripture is God breathe and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you in here are men? 
Well, I would hope to see more hands. <laughs> how many of you in here? Are, how many of you in here are men? All right, this scripture is for you. It is not for somebody that you pay to be your pastor. It is not for somebody in a funny clerical collar or a ridiculous hat. It is for you. The Word of God is so that you will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ephesians 2 teaches that God prepared in advance good work for you to do. So if there's a set of things, a task that you need to do, but you need to be prepared to do it, that preparation is found in the Word of God. So that your thoughts, your vocalizations, and your actions will be an expression and an extension of God's King and God's Kingdom. This is how we advance the Kingdom on earth. But it starts with you being immersed in His Word. How many of you believe that Jesus will wash you with His Word? Say yes if you have. How many of you know that when Ephesians 5 mentions that, it is not saying that Jesus will wash anyone with His Word. It is saying that a husband should wash his wife with the Word. It's not your pastor's job. It's your job. Wash your wife with the Word. Glory in it together. Instead of getting together to watch friends, get together to study the King of the universe. Make your life terrifically drawn to the center of the universe. The King of kings, the ultimate above all things. Plan your vacations. I tell you, my, my family doesn't take vacations anymore. We take mission trips. And by the way, if your mission trips are vacations, you need to go with us. <laughs> we will teach you a whole new way to think. Yeah. You come back broke and tired, but with the satisfaction of knowing you've done God's will. There is no better way to fall asleep in the world than exhausted for Him. I probably preached enough to you today, but there are two more things I want to share with you. If Proverbs 12 had to do with not piercing, but saving words. And Proverbs 10 had to do with redemptive, nourishing words. And Proverbs 15 had to do with commended knowledge or an instructed tongue. Then Proverbs 16 is probably the best place I could think of to tie in spirit-led speech. So this is Proverbs 16. <coughs> One. To man belongs the plans of the heart. Let's think about that for a minute. You don't have to read the rest. To man belongs the plans of the heart. Come on, have you ever had a conversation with someone and left only to replay that conversation in your mind? To kind of live it out in a little bit like verbal kung fu? And then he did. And then I did. And then they did. Right? And you're planning it out as like it was a choreographed dance. Or maybe you do that before you're even in the conversation. Well, I'm going to tell Mike this, and then he's going to say, do you know what I'm going to say? And, and we do this. You know, I hear it all of the time. I'm a pastor. And, and, and then pastor, then, then you know what I said? I said, and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to hear what you said anymore. Is there anything good in it? Give me the synopsis. You know? When I was in the car business, people would come in and say, you know that thing had a 420 Hemi in it, but I pulled that thing out and I built it like I wanted it. And I'm like, wow, great. Ever occurred to you that it was designed for a certain function in a certain way with certain tolerances and certain abilities? 
<coughs> the word of God is the same way. The same way. <coughs> there are plans that we make in our heart. Did you know that Jeremiah 17 teaches your heart is deceitful beyond all? Nothing can cure it. Proverbs says it's a wellspring of life. Be careful what you get in it. To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. You can plan all day long what you think you're going to say, what you should say. But in that moment, as Jesus said to his disciples, do not worry about what you will say. The words will be given. For it won't be you speaking, but it will be my Father in heaven speaking through you. If you've never lived in that scenario, if you've never been in that place, I want to invite you to have spirit-led speech. It's addictive. That's why I preach. Those moments when I stand here and I realize that the words are not really mine anymore, but I'm hearing them for the first time just like you, and I can feel His presence and His power, I'm more addicted to that than people are substances. The reply of the tongue is supposed to come from the Lord. Yes. Ultimately, why did I fail in the parking lot at Kroger's? Because I was not connected to my king. I was connected to my frustration. And so out of my frustration, I spoke instead out of my relationship with the Lord. I know the difference, friend. I've gotten them right and I've gotten them wrong. And I know the difference between salt water and fresh. And if you drink salt water long enough, you get confused. Proverbs 25 about spirit and speech. Here comes verse there. 11. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his masters. Gold in the Bible is divinity. Divine words set on mountains of redemption. When they're spoken, it is like somebody got a cool, snowy breeze during the heat of their harvest. It's like AC in the desert. It brings refreshing to who? The master. The master. Have you ever thought that the Lord could be refreshed? <laughs> well, did you ever think of him as amazed? And the scripture says he was. Did you ever think of him as surprised? And he was. One time the word used is even astonished. Something about you speaking his words accurately, working in the harvest, giving AC like coolness to people is refreshing to him. Perhaps it gives him a chance to look and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Perhaps it gives him a chance to cross his arms and look at you and say, my son's work is alive in this world. Why would you pay for that? My, my, my. And it's all in our hands. Proverbs 18 is more or less our summation. This is Proverbs 18. Starting with me in verse 20. There. And when I say summation, please don't get the idea that I'm going to stop preaching. <laughs> this is the last scripture of Proverbs. 
in truth, our message is winding to a close. If you haven't gotten it in the last 55 minutes, you will probably not get it in the next five. I'd like to think of myself as persistent, though some might describe me as stubborn. Whatever the case, you're going to have to endure me for another six minutes. Proverbs 18, look at verse 20. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. There is a continual progression of fruit. Either fruit that is of the Spirit, or fruit that is of the flesh. And friends, you will eat the fruit that your mouth produces. The Bible teaches this. So think twice about telling your children that they're dumb. Think twice about calling your husband mean. Think twice about saying things will never work out. <coughs> Think twice about what you speak. Is it a piercing or a saving word? Is it, is it a nourishing word or a cutting word? Is it using knowledge correctly or using it incorrectly? Is it spirit-led speech? Words are either going to justify us or condemn us. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of, it doesn't say death and life. It says life and death. It's put in this order because God intended for your tongue to bring life. It was never His intention that it bring death. It just often does, and He wants you to see the root cause. Some of you in safety do root cause analysis. How many times has it ever gone back to what someone said? It's usually this well, weld failed. This, this, yeah. But if you go far enough back, somebody said that weld was okay. Somebody taught a welder to do it that way. The root cause is always something that was an internal conversation that became external speech and was accompanied by actions. This is why Jesus says, out of the abundance of a man's heart does his mouth speak. We need to be careful what we're producing. When our God said, I'm on, it brought light to the world. What is your speech bringing? How many of you have a green thumb in here? Have we considered that maybe we need a green tongue? Maybe it's time to speak words that cause people to grow. Is that only flowery, wonderful, your awesome words? No, sometimes it's you're capable of more than this. I'm ashamed of that behavior, but you surely have the ability to make us all proud. Yeah. Yeah, this is the gospel. And you can feel the rightness of it even as I say it, can't you? As an example, and then we close. Turn with me to Luke. It'll be the first or second chapter I need to see. Okay, in the first chapter, starting in the fifth verse, I'm not going to read this, but a man named Zechariah is on duty in the temple. He's a priest of God. Does he have an instructed tongue? Worse. He's learned the Torah, committed it to memory. 
He's on duty, so is he working for God? Should he be spirit-led? Of course. Should his word be saving words? Yes, he's there to mediate between God and man. Should his word be nourishing words? Should they be building others up? Yes, this is the reason for the priesthood. An angel appears to him and speaks to him. How cool would that be? He tells him about a son that is to be born. And the angel came in response to prayer. So Zechariah had been asking for this. And listen to Zechariah's response. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Is that skepticism? Yes. Yeah. Might it be even disbelief? An angel appears to you and is speaking to you. Wouldn't that be proof enough? But it wasn't. Does that tell you how big of a hurdle this was in his life? Maybe he'd been praying his entire life for this. Now he was old and his dream was dead. Everybody's eyes except God's. We're going to believe fact for truth. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Do you know what happened to him next? His mouth was shut. So that he couldn't speak any more words that would interfere with God's plan. Do you know when his mouth was loosened? The moment God's plan had come to pass. I would like to contrast that. How can this be? Do you hear that? You might write that down. How can this be? with a story that is being told in the next couple verses. An angel appears to a little virgin in verse 34 is her answer. How will this be? Do you hear the difference between how can this be and how will this be? One knows it's going to happen because God said it's going to happen and they're just asking for instruction. God honors that. We're not talking about a blind faith that says, despite everything I know, I'm going to do it this way. No, our faith says, because of all that I know, how will this be? We have an, uh, an attitude to adopt. We have a choice to make. In every situation, we can look and say, how can this be? Or we can say, how will this be? One of those lives has to be struck shut. The other can be overshadowed with God's presence to the point, here this one, that God's innermost thoughts, the very intention of His heart, His spoken word and His actions can be born in you and then produced for the whole world. See, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh because a woman said, How will this be? It is not sin to not know how it's going to work out. It is sin to tell God it won't work out. Yes. Now stand your feet. Oh, I didn't tell you something. This is just cute. The same Pastor Stockstill told a different story. It's funny, I've only heard about three Larry Stockstill messages in my whole life, but they were good enough <laughs> that I remember them to this day. 
Can you say amen to good preaching? Amen. Amen. I'm talking about his. No. He said that there's a little lady in his church and everybody noticed how indeterrably happy she was. And you know those people, I mean, it can even be a little frustrating, you know? I mean, you'd like somebody to wallow in your head just a little bit with you. I mean, give me 30 seconds of grief before we all have to jump around exuberant. Well, she wasn't, she wasn't having any part of that. So they're talking to her. I said, you never say anything bad about anyone. In all the years we've known you, we can't think of a single criticism. Doesn't matter who's in the presidential office, doesn't matter who's in the governor's office, doesn't matter whether it's raining or sunshine, and you only have good things to say. Her name was Mary. I said, Mary, how about the devil? Surely you have something bad to say about the devil. She went, he's busy. <laughs> Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank You. We thank You that Your Spirit is in this place. Lord God, we have not staked our hope upon our charisma. We have not staked our hope upon our words or our music. We have staked our hope upon Your presence here. Lord, we ask that You would move in us and through us to speak redemptive words. Lord, that we would nourish those who are broken. That we might see healing, Lord God, inside and outside. Lord, that You might put together lives in this place, save marriages in this place, and raise up children in this place. Lord, draw people into this lighthouse. Draw those precious metals that You desire to polish into this place that we might see Your kingdom advance. Lord, we ask that You would give us those who are willing to be changed in Your presence. That You would bring those into this place who will join in the work and not be spectators only. We need You, Lord God, and we're asking that You would raise up harvesters for Your harvest. We see Your glory, Lord, and we want to tell the world about it. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen.